Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Andrew, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 68 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. And my friend Bailey. Uh-oh. And my friend Dylan is the sound recordist. Love you, boo. <laughs> That's right. We back and appropriately, I'm going to pass the baton. <laughs> pass the mic to me. Hello, everyone. It is Bailey. I am back. She's back. We're back, baby. Hi, Dylan. <laughs> I've been here. I've been here the whole time with you. Thank you, Andrew and Toby and Jillian for covering the podcast while we were gone. I do admit I got some FOMO listening to the episodes. I thought you guys had a lot of fun. You had a lot of good digs at me, which and well, mostly Dylan, mm-hmm. which, which yeah. was fun. <laughs> mostly one specific thing about Dylan, but yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. I think we got him quite a bit, if I remember correctly. It wasn't it wasn't too nice. <laughs> Well, we are back, and I'm excited to talk about this book that I read two months ago and hopefully remember <laughs> something about. Oh, boy, yeah. We'll see. I bet I bet you're going to remember it perfectly. Thank you, Andrew. Bailey, I feel like we flip problems where it's like, normally, you're the one who has to read the book in two weeks, and I'm the one who like maybe read it too early and doesn't remember it very well, but now we flipped because I had to read my book in two weeks, and you can't remember yeah. yours, so. Before we started recording, the guys were saying, oh man, I don't like reading books every two weeks. I'm like, huh, yeah, <laughs> welcome to my world. Well, since I haven't been on the podcast since the new year, I guess I have to report some of my Christmas shame. Uh-oh. Christmas yeah, shame. What's your, what is your number currently, Bailey, by the yeah. way? I got to announce mine. I, I got to know. Okay. Well, if we're starting the podcast, my number is 123. <laughs> okay. Because I read Love Theoretically by Allie Hazelwood over Christmas. Liked it. Didn't mm-hmm. like it as much as Love Hypothesis, but it was good. That's the Kylo Ren book. The, it's, it's a different couple. Oh, and she's in love with the guy from Marriage Story. I got it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's in love with, with the guy from Silence. Will he break his vows? <laughs> so anyway, so I read that. Um, what else did I read? Oh, and then I got two books for Christmas that I read. So that doesn't really count. One of them is A House with Good Bones by T. Kingfisher. Horror book. It was fine. It was quick. I was really trying to hit my Goodreads goal at the end of last year. And Andrew mm-hmm. referenced this, that I finished at like, what, 11.58 p.m. Uh, on the 31st. Yeah, party, party kind of silly. Um, but the other one I read was The Fourth Wing by Rebecca Yaros, Uh-oh. Oh. which everybody's talking about. I know Jillian talked about it on the last episode. I will say that it's not great literature. Obviously, it <laughs> you know borrows a lot from a lot of other similar genre books, and it's really hard to put down. It's really good. Yeah. I'm into it. Undeniable. So I was at 123, and now I am adding five new books. Oh. Oh, Bailey. It's not so bad. Okay, well, but Bailey, you started the podcast. We had bookmarks (laughs) made. When you were at 125, can you not just commit to getting it a little (laughs) under 125 for an extended period? I'm trying. Some new Pedro is going to like start the podcast from this episode and be like, what? Have they gone back into how is it possible? 128. (laughs) (laughs) I just feel like it could have been worse. There are years at Christmas where I get like 10 books. That's true. That is fair. 
Okay. So a book I got was Check and Mate by Allie Hazelwood, another one by her. This one I think is more YA and it's about chess. So I don't know when Adam Driver plays chess. Queen's Gambit, baby. Then I got a book from Dylan's Speech Team by Tim Murphy. Seems right up my alley about a group of kids that were on a speech team together in high school. Yes. Okay. Then I think these were both from Andrew. Adult Assembly Required by Abby Waxman. Was that from you, Andrew? No. That was me. That was from Dylan. Thank you, Dylan. And then Family Meal by Brian Washington. I think that was from you, Andrew. That was from me. Okay, cool. And what is that copy, Bailey? Signed. That's right. You didn't have to say it. You know it. You know it. (laughs) (laughs) And last but not least, I picked up a copy of The Gift of Fear from a little free library, (laughs) which seems apt. Can't wait for that to get chosen. I know. No, no. (laughs) Are you afraid they'll get chosen? For those of you who don't know, that's a nonfiction book, like basically telling specifically women, like follow your intuition. If a guy seems sketchy, he probably is. So I'm looking forward to reading that. Nice. Now I'm what? 128th. You know, you're right. It could it could have been worse. Thank could've you. Been worse. It could have and has been much worse. <laughs> could have been better. Oh, yep. That's also true, Toby. <laughs> Toby or Andrew, do you guys have any shame since your last episode? No. Yeah, shame free over here. Okay. Well, I want to give Dylan a second. Dylan, you haven't been on for a while. Have you read anything that you liked recently? Yes, I have. Will you tell us about it? One book is the most Dylan book of all time, which is a graphic novel explaining the hidden systems that operate the world. So like plumbing systems, water systems, electricity. It's so nerdy. (laughs) It's so nerdy, except what happened, Bailey? Two nights ago, Maggie said, where does the water go when it goes down the drain? And Dylan's like, oh, have I got a graphic novel to show you? (laughs) Um, But I also did read a book called Outlawed by Anna North, which is like a Western... Gender-swapped alternate history, I guess, if Billy the Kid and the Hole in the Wall gang were all women. Mm. So basically all these women, they get shunned out of society for not having children. How dare they um, form their own gang? And it was it was really fun. I'd give it high three stars, low four stars. Okay. Nice. I'm going to steal the spotlight. I'm going to give us a Toby recommendation. It's one of my favorite books I've read last year. I read it a while ago, but it's called A Touch of Jen by Beth Morgan. And it starts out as a story of a young couple, and they are semi-obsessed with this girl, Jen. The guy in the couple used to work with her, and he had a crush on her, but nothing ever really happened. And he and his current girlfriend kind of stalk her on social media, where she has a big presence, and they become entangled in her life. And very, very strange things start to happen, and the girlfriend in the relationship starts to maybe sort of morph into Jen. It is big. Bizarre. It is super creepy, on the edge of very, very scary, and it goes in directions that you cannot at all predict. Um, it is truly unlike anything I've ever read before, and I, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. A Touch of Jen by Beth Morgan. Ooh. Mm. Well, speaking of all those books, Toby, have you been sad about anything lately in your surroundings? Not at all, because I've been enjoying <laughs> Sorrowland by River Solomon. Oh, look at that, Bailey. Rusty, <laughs> you didn't realize that Toby just says no thank you to transitions anymore. <laughs> <laughs> got dunked on. All right. All right, here we go. In River Solomon's Sorrowland, 15-year-old Vern Riley is on the run from the Blessed Gardens of Cain, the black separatist cult she was raised in, enduring hallucinatory hauntings and trying her best to keep her twin infants alive in the wilderness, all while slowly realizing that Cainland has left an indelible mark on her body, one that might transform her from human to something else. Uh Uh-oh, this sounds up my alley. 
Um, Vern has spent her entire short life pretty unhappily in the Blessed Gardens of Cain, the place she calls Cain Land. Uh, it is a cult led by the Reverend Sherman. Reverend Sherman preaches uh, that the God of white people is different than the God of black people. The God of black people is the God of Cain. And he claims that that God will only smile upon his children if they separate entirely from white society. There are elements in it that Vern agrees with, uh, but there are a lot of elements she doesn't agree with, including the uh, strict rules against homosexuality. And after the Reverend forces her to marry him, she runs away into the woods outside of Caneland, pregnant with his children. That is how the book begins. So it's pretty intense. Um, once she's in the woods, she gives birth to twins. She names Howling and Feral. And she spends the next several years living wild with them in the woods. She's pursued endlessly through the very creepy, very scary woods by the faceless Fiend with a capital F. Uh, that is an individual that Vern believes the cult has sent after her to bring her back into the fold. All the time, she's suffering these things she calls hauntings, which are visions of dead people who speak and interact with her more and more and more as time goes on. Eventually, events converge to bring her back into larger society in the outside world. And she faces a gauntlet of trials, but also makes allies, including a Native American EMT named Gogo, with whom she falls in love. To top this all off, Vern discovers that there is something inside of her, a remnant of Caneland, and it is transforming her slowly into something more than human. Oh. No clarifying questions. Yeah. Pretty straightforward. Yeah. I'm glad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like the name Gogo. I love the name Gogo. I read this on audiobook, and every time I said the name Gogo, I was like, what a cool name. What about the names Feral and Howling? The, you get used to them. I think that at first I was like, okay, is this a little bit try hard? But you know what? I, I eventually really like those names. And that kind of transfers into my, my first elf. Uh, Sorrowland is a beautifully written book. Um, I will say that right up top. I don't usually pull quotes. But this book starts off with such a banger of an opening, I have to pull this quote. So this is literally the first lines of the book. The child gushed out from twixt Vern's legs, ragged and smelling of salt. Slight he was, and feeble as a promise. He felt in her palms a great wilderness, such a tender thing as he could never be parsed fully by the likes of her. Had she more strength, she'd have limped to the river and drowned him. It'd be a gentler end than the one the fiend had in mind. Ooh. I mean, this is a creepy book. I don't know if you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but what a beginning of the book. You're just like, oh, here we go. Yeah. And the whole book is like that. Uh, beautiful, haunting sentences that just kind of smack you in the face with how good they are. River Solomon is just a powerful, powerful writer. The book is quite creepy. Um, quite atmospheric. It's super captivating. And the book, I think, is at its best when you just kind of feel lost. You are not really sure where things are headed. You're just kind of along with Vern's journey just as she tries her best to survive in the forest, basically. Um, the science fiction aspects of the book are really well done. I don't want to get into too many of them or spoil anything, but Vern's transformation is visceral and bizarre. The hauntings that she experiences are more and more and more unsettling and often legitimately scary. So that's a very cool part of the book. I also think that uh, Solomon's themes of racism, queer love, and many, many other intense topics are all extremely well done. They write passionately about these issues. The novel Giovanni's Room is referenced quite a lot. So I you know, want to read it even more now. Sounds exactly like it, you know, same plot. <laughs> yeah. um, and, um, and there's just a fluidity and a subtleness to these themes for the most part um, that I think is really admirable. So there's a lot to like about the book. And? And orcs. Oh, no, there's orcs, too? 
There's orcs aren't too. Aren't there enough attacking those children? <laughs> That's true, yeah. I would say, as you can maybe see from the hecticness of my summary, there's a lot going on in this book. Like, a lot, a lot. And sometimes it feels like the book doesn't really know what it wants to be. It starts out as this super atmospheric and contemplative kind of creepy story. And at the end, it morphs into kind of like an action-packed thriller, question mark? I think that maybe the intention was to be a book that seamlessly transitioned between the two. But my experience was that the contemplative atmospheric bits were wonderful and intense and deep. And the action was not super well done, in my opinion. Um... I often say about books that I review here that I am reluctant to talk about them because I think people should go in knowing as little as possible. But I actually think someone who wants to read this book should go in knowing that this is a weird book. It's a weird mix. If you're prepared for it, it might go down a little bit better. Uh, for me, I found that the first two thirds of the book, although very beautiful and moving, went on for so long and had so little obvious direction that it really took me a long time to get through them. I felt kind of bogged down. And in the last third, felt like it just shifted immediately into a different gear and the plot was kind of crammed into the last you know section of the book felt a little bit rushed a little bit false so those are my orcs but overall i have a lot more positive things to say about this book than negative things i think it was super interesting if it intrigues you you should check it out and i give it four stars nice mm, awesome sounds good i think i might read this one andrew do you have yeah. any facts on our author oh do i I'm very curious. They seem really interesting. So I'm going to start on my facts on River Solomon with how Faye described themselves on their website. Uh, River Solomon is half woman, half boy, part beast, and a refugee of the transatlantic slave trade. Faye writes about feral creatures on the cusp. Born in the so-called United States, Faye currently lives on an isle off the Eurasian continent. Uh, Solomon was born in 1989 in California and attended Stanford University and the Missioner Center for Writers at UT Austin, which is a great program. Uh, Faye are non-binary and intersex and have been diagnosed with ADHD and are on the autism spectrum and specifically use Faye and Fear, spelled F-A-E and F-A-E-R, or they, them for fair pronouns. Um, and they currently reside in Cambridge, the United Kingdom, the aforementioned Isle off the Eurasian continent. There wasn't a whole lot about River Solomon online, but I have a little bit of bio and then a great uh, list of like quick answers Faye did in an interview. So Faye published the first novel, um, An Unkindness of Ghosts, in 2017, and it was rapturously received, earning awards and spots on best of lists by places such as The Guardian, NPR, and Bustle, just to name a few. Their uh, second novel, The Deep, was also well-received and chronicled a utopian underwater society built by the water-breathing descendants of pregnant slaves thrown overboard from slave ships. Uh, I've heard about that one. Yeah, it's based on a song, actually, by, uh, by a hip-hop group called Clipping. It's an experimental group, and uh, River Solomon blew out that concept into a whole novel. And the song is dope. Cool. Sourland is River Solomon's newest novel, though they've also collaborated with several writers to produce the serial novel The Vela. And Sourland came out in 2021. So, again, not a whole lot of information online, but there is an interview with River Solomon on Penguin Random House website, which has a lot of, like, quick answers and tells us a lot of stuff that we uh, tend to like to know about our authors. So I'm going to throw out Ooh. a few for y'all. I want to predict, does Faye talk about Faye's, uh, like, writing routine? Yes. Ooh. Nice. Ooh. 
And we're going to start it off with a banger. Which writer do you most admire and why? And the answer is Miriam Toes is phenomenal. It has been two years since I read Women Talking and I still think about it. Such an incredible balance of terror and heart that never settles for easy answers. Yeah. yeah. Good one. Good one. Good book. Good book. Good book. Good book. Speaking of good books, what was the <laughs> first book you remember loving as a child? And this one was basically my same answer, but Where the Red Fern Grows, Ugh. which I read at seven or eight. That's too young, It was Andrew. my first, quote, real book. I haven't read that one. Oh, yeah. I mean, classic sort of story about dogs. Guess what happens? Oh, no. <laughs> He lives forever and is tick-free. Um, a few more questions here. Tell us about a book that changed your life's path. Faye answers, all of them, right? A butterfly flapping its wings on all that. But if I had to pick one, perhaps The Secret History by Donna Tartt. That was one of my, oh, oh, I need to be a writer so I can do this books. They have great taste in books. This yeah, this mm-hmm. is like all very aligned with the, the podcast here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, what's the best piece of writing advice you've ever been given? Write what terrifies you. Ooh. Uh, what is your most surprising passion or hobby? Bird watching. I would have never guessed it's something that I could get into. I've been quite alienated from nature, so I always feel I'd never get to know it properly. I've surprised myself with all I've learned. I have been recommended that as a hobby by a lot of people, but also I feel like if I were to open that door, I would never come out because it seems yeah. like real life Pokemon hunting. You can't throw balls at them. <laughs> yeah, and you can never complete. Like, you can't see all the birds in the world. Gotta Don't see them. Challenge all. Bailey. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe somebody else could, Bailey, but you personally can't ah! do it. Uh, man, so I don't want to take up too much time, but over the weekend, I saw a very rare bird thing, which was two bald eagles fighting on the ground with each other uh, outside of my house. Terrifying. We had to call animal control to break them up, and they seemed to both be okay, but it was like very, very intense. That's wild. Okay, a few quick last ones. Uh, what's your ideal writing scenario? We have to know. And River Solomon says, comfy old leather chair at a hip artsy cafe, headphones on, tea and a scone at the ready. Heck yeah. Game recognized game. All 10 out of 10 answers. I'm just, <laughs> all right. This is also uh, one of my favorite answers, which is just reading in the bath, yes or no, all caps, yes, from River Solomon. That's an all cap yes. Oh. <laughs> uh. You know what? That's the first answer I don't get along. I I don't agree. I don't like reading in the bath. My hands are wet. How am I supposed to turn the pages? What if I drop the book? No, thanks. Try not to put your hands in the tub. Yeah, but that's no fun. How do you wash yourself? Read for a little bit and then relax in the tub. God, you're embarrassing me in front of my new friend Rivers. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I will throw in one last fact here, which is what was your strangest or most embarrassing author encounter? Uh, And Rivers takes it a different direction and says, oh, this isn't strange or embarrassing, but I found it really lovely when one of the service leaders at my synagogue, who's known me for a bit, realized who I was and did the whole, wait, Rivers Solomon thing? And was like, oh gosh, your book is on my recommended reading list for the postgrad class I teach. I felt like I'd made it. Oh, that's That's pretty cool. cool. Love it. And that is just a little taste of River Solomon. I imagine, based on Toby's review and our sort of excitement about some of the other work, Faye might show up again on our uh, on our list. Going to the bookstore mm. now. Oh, no. Uh, no just <laughs> Don't keep her away from the store. Well, excellent facts, Andrew. I feel like I also yes. have a new friend in River Solomon, and that is Sorrowland by River Solomon. Four stars. Four stars. Well, Bailey, I know you've been up against a lot of jabs from us. Yeah. Do you ever feel like it's just you against the world? I feel like it's me against the music a lot of time. But also, (laughs) yes, I I did read a book this week, which is called (laughs) (laughs) The Wangs vs. the World by Jade Chang. Mm. 
So I, like I mentioned in the beginning of this episode, I read this the first week of January. We're recording this. It's almost March. So, you know, I don't usually read from my notes. I usually just talk extemporaneously, but here we go. I'm going to have to read it and just, you know, remember (laughs) what this book is about. Okay. Um, Has anybody else read the book before I start? Yes. So now I'm trying to even remember it from like years and years and years ago. Okay. So the basic premise of the book, it's very similar to the show Schitt's Creek, if you've seen it. It's a family. The father, Charles Wang, is an immigrant from China who has created this booming cosmetics business, but loses all his money during the financial crisis of the early 2000s. And he has three entitled children um, who are at different spots in their lives who've only ever been rich. And so when they lose their money, they're not sure what to do. And he gathers them all together in a car they have left and drives from Bel Air to New York. And in the process, you know, shenanigans ensue. And his goal is ultimately to bring his family together, to take his kids out of the schools he can't afford paying for anymore. And then he wants to go back to China where he thinks he's um, entitled to some ancestral land that he's going to like start over. That's what I remember about the book. Dylan, accurate? Yes. Okay, great. It has a very good premise. With that said, maybe, I don't know if it came out before Schitt's Creek because it's kind of the same premise. I think it did. The big difference, obviously, is that it talks a lot about the first and second generation experience of being a Chinese immigrant in America. And that's very interesting. But a lot of the other stuff, it feels very familiar. Hmm. Um, Let's see. What else did I write? (laughs) Um, I say... I liked the dialogue and interwoven Chinese with English. I read the audiobook, which helped. Yeah. So the narrator obviously speaks Chinese too. And so as she's reading, you can hear the Chinese words and the English words. And that was helpful for me because when I'm just reading the pages, I can't get the flavor of it. The chapters switch point of view between the different family members. At one point, they even follow the POV of the car. And I huh. was okay with that. Um, sometimes it is jarring in books. It worked here. And then... I talk a lot about, I say, it feels like more premise than plot. It needed an ending and didn't feel organic. The road trip was lost. So we start out with this road trip, this really great premise, and then it kind of like ends prematurely and then they don't know where to go for it. The characters, I think that Charles Wang has a clear arc and a clear ending, but it's not so clear for his kids who are, you know, as I said, they switch perspective between them. So it's like, well, but what about them? Yeah. I remember the Mm. dad the most out of it that he's very like, I think Royal Tenenbaum is the like closest you can get where it's like, not only is he's not like a lovable, yeah, no. terrible dad. He's like, no, he's just a legit terrible dad. And whenever he's talking about his plan, I think that's the problem with the plot is that when he's talking about the plan, we as the audience know that plan's not going to work. It's not going to work. Yeah. That's frustrating yeah. when like you have a book where the main goal of the main character, you as the audience already know, like is hopeless. You kind of feel like, well, what's the point yeah, then? So you're waiting for like the final yeah. blow up conflict in like the third act, but there's a weird ending. Right. I say, mm. this is my notes. <laughs> Charles may have closure, but I have no idea what will happen to his kids. There's a lack of accountability there because yeah. he's not, like you said, he's kind of a jerk. I don't know. I don't think he has to own up to that in the end. Um, The other characters, um, the oldest child, Sina, she is a sort of failed artist, but she is kind of self-aware, but also obtuse about the art that she makes. This isn't great art, but she thinks that it is. Um, and, And there's a lot of drama with the men that she's interested in. And I wrote, she should lose both men and be single. That's what I thought. 
two months ago. <laughs> um, I said, I, I feel like I understood Grace, but I worry where she's headed. That's the youngest child. She's in a boarding school and she's really into fashion blogging, but the pictures she posts are kind of suggestive. So she's getting like, you can imagine like an Instagram influencer getting a lot of clicks because she's a hot young girl. She knows that's what what's happening. She's self-aware, but it's like, where's this going to go? I'm worried about that. And then my least favorite character was the middle child whose name was Andrew. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I get it. We're disgusting as a people. He's in college. He's an aspiring stand-up comedian. Oh, no, that's fine. Then not to like him. <laughs> Yeah, the stand-up act was just so cringe. And also his, like, pursuit of women was really backwards. And, like, his relationship with this one woman, to me, it was very much, like, assault. But he's, like, okay with it. I I didn't hate her writing. I'm open to reading more from her. I think that she has a great sense of characters. But it just, again, feels more like premise than plot. So Hmm. ultimately, I said four stars that became three as I read. And I would recommend the audiobook. Hmm. That's all I remember about this book, but it, it, you know, my review holds up in my mind. The stuff that stuck out to me would be the stuff that makes the back of the cover of the book and not so much the intricacies of all the writing. Yeah. Would you agree, Dylan? Do you remember what you thought? The one Charles thing I do remember is they, uh, this this isn't a spoiler, their mom's dead. Yeah, yeah. And there's a chapter that goes into how she died. And I remember that chapter being really strange, like it's like a funny romp. And then the chapter where the mom dies and you hear about how Charles reacted to it. Yeah. It's like that was very unique and very like jarring. There's another character, Barbara, who is his current wife. And she's tragic in a different way. This book reminded me a lot of a documentary I saw, which you can now watch on Max. It's called A.K. Mr. Chow. And it follows Mr. Chow, who is, you might know, has had these really famous hip restaurants. I think they're still around. And. And he was sort of known as being this big personality, kind of a jerk, had several wives. The documentary is great because you get really his perspective. But that's who I was picturing when I was picturing Charles. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, read this book if you want, but it's not my favorite. (laughs) And throwing it to Andrew, do you have any facts on Jay Chang that will change my mind and make me feel bad? Read this book if you want. <laughs> at your own at your own peril. We should always do re- reviews two months after and Bailey's just like, I have I'm not even gonna be diplomatic here. Come on. <laughs> well, Jay Chang um, <laughs> was born in Ohio in nineteen seventy six and moved with her family to the San Fernando Valley near Los Angeles in nineteen eighty five. Both of her parents separately moved from China to Taiwan and then to the US. Her parents then met in graduate school after their immigration. Chang attended Cornell, heard of it, Mm -hmm. where she studied English and political philosophy. After college, she returned to L.A. to intern at L.A. Weekly before moving on and working as an editor and arts journalist for publications such as Metropolis, Goodreads, heard of it, and Angelino. An experience at a party while working for Angelino, which is sort of a, it's kind of like a fancy magazine, inspired The Wangs vs. The World. The story of this is told in um, a profile uh, by Claire Armistead for The Guardian. It was in the queue to leave the Bel Air launch of the Trump Tower Dubai that Jade Chang's debut novel was conceived. It was August 2008. Christina Aguilera had serenaded hundreds of guests, each of whom had been given an iPod in their doggy bag after feasting on a cake dusted with flakes of gold. (laughs) Quote from Jade Chang, I was standing there in the valet line waiting for my beat up Mitsubishi to arrive in a sea of Bentleys, a sea of excess, she recalls. Chang had been invited as a journalist working for a luxury magazine. On the drive home, she turned to her friend 
friend and said, quote, everything's going to collapse. I remember thinking that there's another story here that I really wanted to tell, a story set at a point when it was all going to change. And I wanted to write about Fracture, but I also wanted to write a different type of immigrant story, one that I hadn't seen before. Mm-hmm. And reader, a fortnight later, Lehman Brothers filed the biggest bankruptcy petition in U.S. history, forcing the U.S. to confront its descent into recession. Jay Chang is responsible. <laughs> <laughs> Jay, Jay Chang predicted it, for sure. And this experience launched a five-year writing process for the novel. Chang had previously written another novel that she submitted but got no traction. Uh, well, actually got like positive responses, but it was right w- after the crash happened. Um, so like everyone was like, I don't know if publishing is even going to still happen. Too soon. Too so, soon. <laughs> too soon. Too soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so this was the first novel accepted, but it was accepted quite enthusiastically. On her first submission, it was accepted and prompted a subsequent bidding war. Uh, the Wangs versus the World was well received, making several best of lists. And uh, Chang has yet to publish a second novel. So Bailey, you can't try anymore yet. But was part of the writing staff of the Babysitters Club on Netflix, and the Wangs oh. uh, versus the World is maybe m- might not still be being developed by Hulu to be a TV series. Uh, another quote from that interview, Chang, who uh, until recently worked as a journalist in Los Angeles, describes herself as 100% Chinese, 100% American, and 100% Asian all at the same time, mm-hmm. um, which is an interesting nice. way to sort of approach her identity. And math. And that's what I have on Jade Chang. Well, thank you, Andrew, for those great facts. And Jade Chang, I'm going to read your next one because that is The Wangs vs. the World by Jade Chang. Three stars. Mm. Do, 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 do. Now, how about a little Toby versus Bailey? Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. A game? Andrew, a game? You have a, a game. game for us? A game? A game? Forever a game? A game. A Christmas game, yes. I do have a game. Um, it is not a versus game. Maybe <gasps> I dropped the ball here. Ooh. This is a team yeah. game, and all of you get to play, and you're Yay. all in deep trouble. Uh-oh. 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 The name of the game is Roadside Oddity, and... You're working together. You're presented with this scenario. While driving cross-country together, you nerds uh, (laughs) experience a car breakdown. Your car up in smoke. You're in the middle of nowhere. You try with no cell service, no signal to get somebody to help you. Roadside assistance cannot be contacted. It's the middle of the night. You're hungry. You're tired. And a man in a tow truck pulls up. He says... I know exactly what the problem is with your car, and I can fix it, but only if you can match the roadside attraction to the state that it comes from. Okay, but what if I have the gift of fear and I say, no, I don't trust you, go away. He's your only hope, Bailey. I was already thinking about eating Toby, so... <laughs> so the way the game works is I'm going to actually text you so you have it for reference, but I'll also read them aloud for the podcast. A list of 10 states and a list of 10 roadside attractions. As a group, you need to decide which state has which attraction. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. If you get six or above, the man fixes your car. <laughs> if you get uh, if you get below that, he doesn't fix your car. And if you get three or below, he steals your car. Okay. But Bailey has the gift of fear. Surely we have some kind of advantage. <laughs> Your advantage is teamwork, just like it always is. Oh, I hate that advantage, just as much as I hate this mechanic. (laughs) Wow, he's your only hope and you're already giving him crap. Okay. Wow, 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 wow. All right, so uh, that should be in your text now. For the listener, I'm going to now read the states and the locations. Oh, all of these were taken from Thrillist's list, The Weirdest Roadside Attraction in Every State. And the states that made the cut are Alaska, Arizona, California, Georgia, Iowa, Kansas, Maine, Minnesota, New Jersey, and South Dakota. Those are the states. Now, here are the attractions. What you're really here for. The Spam Museum. Mm. Rainbow Rock Shop. Doll's Head Trail. 
Wall Drug, the world's largest collection of the world's smallest versions of the world's largest things. No questions there. Wild Blueberry Land, the Hammer Museum, the future birthplace of Captain Kirk, Lucy the Elephant, and the Winchester Mystery House. I know so many of these. I'm ready. I, I know five of them. You do? Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Whoa, okay. All right. Conversation begins now. Let me know when you have final answers, and I'll tell you if they are right or wrong. But if you guess a state, you cannot then pair it somewhere else. So make sure you're ready when you guess. Okay, so we all know that the Hammer Museum is that fancy photography museum in Los Angeles, right? I'm assuming that's what he's talking about. That's what I thought, but the Winchester Mystery House is also in California. I think it's a museum about actual hammers. It's got to be the the Winchester Mystery House. Yeah. Yeah. Have you locked that in? Yeah, Yeah. locked. Locked Take it to the bank. That is correct. You have one point. It's in San Jose, California. I grip the man by his lapels and shout that the Winchester mystery houses in california oh sure that's right you need a few <laughs> more though bud wild blueberry land has got to be maine yeah i take wild blueberry land for maine sure locking it in lock i say that one more calmly to the man oh sure that's right only two more before i don't steal your car this man's from maine it turns out <laughs> um <laughs> this spam museum is in minnesota Okay. I know this because I literally listened to a story yesterday or the day before yesterday about on NPR about National Spam Day and the Spam Society meeting in Minnesota. And it was hilarious because oh. they all have Minnesota accents. I would have guessed Hawaii. Okay. Spam Museum, Minnesota locked. Oh, that's correct. One more before I don't steal your car. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the Rainbow Rock Shop is either going to be in Arizona or South Dakota. Because South Dakota is where they find like a lot of dinosaurs, right? Let's go with Captain Kirk, though. That's Iowa. I, yeah, I was going to say it's Iowa or Kansas, right? Oh, okay. Iowa? He's, bo- he's born in Iowa. Iowa, that one. Don't listen to Toby. We're disregarding him. Yeah, what the F? You just like, sh- shouldered me aside for your <laughs> Star Trek <laughs> trivia. <laughs> Wow, Toby's well-thought-out question that he wanted your input on, (laughs) no matter. So are you saying Iowa is the future birthplace of Captain Kirk? Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. I scuff my shoe in the dirt and look down, (laughs) sadly. Hey, you get to keep your car. I don't know if I'll fix it, though. I don't don't want it anymore, I say. I think Lucy the Elephant's New Jersey. I kind of wander off the road and look at the stars. Lucy the Elephant is... We're, yeah. we're, we're moving on from Toby. <laughs> what the heck? What about the rock music, the rock shop? Anyway. We're working our way back there. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> you know what? What did you say? I'm feeling too sad for Toby to hear what you're saying. Lucy the Elephant's from New Jersey. That is correct. Yeah. Um. Wait, sorry. Go back to Toby. What? Where do you think Rainbow Rock Shop is? I, I turn around and I say, no, never mind. You guys have this well <laughs> hand. And then I kind of like wander over to the tow truck and see if I can get in it. <laughs> All right. Well, Toby, roll for initiative there and stealth. See if <laughs> no, can... he has to roll for stealth first. You can't tell him what to do. <laughs> um, I think the world's largest collection of the world's smallest versions of the world's largest things. That's Midwest somewhere. And I think that's Kansas. I would guess Kansas. Yeah. Or maybe South Dakota. It might be South Dakota too, but I would say Kansas. Okay. Let's say Kansas for that one. That is correct. You're at six. Only one more needed. Okay. Now I have pulled up my character sheet for my ro- my level three rogue that I play in my D&D campaign. May I roll a stealth check to see if I can get in this in this tow truck, Andrew? <laughs> sure. I'm, just so people know I don't lie, the, uh, the DC is 15. Okay. Let's see here. That's only an eight. You don't have anything to add right. to it? No, that's, that's to eight Get total. away from my car! Ah! <laughs> he somehow appears behind you and says that. <laughs> well, we just have Georgia, Arizona, and Alaska, right? And South Dakota. And South Dakota. I, I, I hopefully say, South Dakota, the Rainbow Rock Shop? I need you all to either agree or disagree on that. We agree, we agree. We agree, we agree. We say, Toby, take your shot. South Dakota is the Rainbow Rock Shop? Yeah. Incorrect. Toby! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I start, I like start pulling on the locked the locked handle of the truck over and over. Back up, buddy. Um, Doll's Head Trail is I know I know pictures of it, and it's like very foresty. Like it looks Alaska. Very, so it's either Alaska or Georgia. I mean, I I whisper Ball's Head Trail to myself. <laughs> I mean, Rainbow Rock Shop. I. Could be Arizona. Yeah, I'll take Arizona on that. I think we should guess Alaska for Doll's Head Trail. Because Wall Drug, I bet, is like Georgia. I think so. I'm just trying to remember. No, it's it's Georgia. What is? Wall Drug? D- uh, Doll's Head. Because Go. it's um off the Appalachian Trail. Okay. I trust Dylan. Doll's Head, Georgia. <laughs> that is correct. Your car's getting fixed, buddies. <laughs> <laughs> you can still guess Alaska and Arizona to match. Toby, do you want to contribute anything? <laughs> no. They have hammers in Alaska, right? Wait, can I say Rainbow Rock Shop as Arizona? Yeah. That is correct. Ah. Uh, I believe Rainbow and- Rock is like a is a natural feature, and this is near that, if I'm remembering okay. correctly. So then we have Wall Drug Hammer Museum, Museum, and we have Alaska and, and South, South Dakota. Dakota. I'll take Hammer Museum in Alaska. Yeah, and I'll take Wall Drug in South Dakota. You cannot take that because you've already guessed South Dakota, but you can take the point for the Hammer Museum being in Alaska. People across the country are yelling at you for not knowing that Wall Drug's in South Dakota. There are bumper stickers for it everywhere. Everyone drives past there when they go cross country. Well, somebody else took mm. South Dakota. Yeah. Toby. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> you know what? I'm walking. I just start walking in the other direction, but the road trip is over for me. The man impressed with Bailey and Dylan starts fixing the car. <laughs> Toby, he nods at as he walks away into the no, wilderness. No, no, I don't even, I don't even and walk away, I just cross the road and stare at them and put my thumb out. <laughs> <laughs> and then Toby falls in love with the man. And that's the end of the story. Toby, roll for, roll for charisma. <laughs> Congratulations. Y'all did a really good job. Welcome back to us. Great game. <laughs> Woot. Yeah, great game. That was fun. All right. Well, Dylan, now's the time for you to come out of your tow truck um, and choose books <laughs> at random from our shelf to read next. It's time for the choosing. The choosing. The choosing. The choosing. I hope you enjoyed the vicious roasting the boys did of you doing the choosing in the last episode. It's very good. <laughs> well, I enjoyed it a lot. In fact, I love it so much when people make fun of me when I'm not there. Although I really hate choosing stuff, and I love making these last-minute announcements when I'm choosing Toby's books. Okay. That's because I'm a member of The Liars Club, number 16 by Mary Carr. Oh. Because <laughs> I was lying. I had no idea where you were going there, my man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, I believe it's autobiographical about Mary Carr's life. Uh, it's supposed to be really, really good. So mm, I'm excited. We'll see it. And I don't need a book choosing because I still have the Mitfords, <laughs> the 800 page epistolary novel. I am on page like 350. So I'll get it done. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so that means in two weeks on the podcast, I will be reading The Mitfords by Charlotte Mosley, and Andrew's reading The City of Brass by Shannon Chakraporty. Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the to read list podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads, Instagram, and the Storygraph at the To Read List Podcast. And if you are on a cross-country road trip with your recently financially distressed family and you're looking for ways to kill time, go on to your podcatcher of choice and rate us five stars. It will take a very long time because you're going to write a very long review to us saying how great we are. Um, and we will love it. And you'll have arrived at your destination and everyone in your story will have closure. <laughs> and uh, if you want to help us out a different way, turn to your left, turn to your right. Turn to the fiend that's stalking you in the night and tell that fiend (laughs) to uh, listen to our podcast because word of mouth is our best way of finding new listeners and people believe it more if uh, if it comes from someone they trust. So 
tell the people you trust about us. <laughs> I'm just imagining you turning left and right and just seeing two eagles, Andrew, and telling them. Thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me and for hosting it while we were gone, to Dylan for sound recording, and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song and hosting the podcast while we were gone. <laughs> See you in two weeks. Happy reading. Books, 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 books. books. books.